That's OaklandUnicorn.com. Hey, Pancake and Pam hanging out. Pam, Pancake. Hey, yo. Are you tired of swimming through a sea of podcasts? Are ye on a raft without a patter? Well, gather around me, sea dogs, and get aboard me pirate ship as we set sail for the seas of MutinyRadio.fm. From there, you can captain your own pirate ship as you sail through over 44 different shows for all of your listening pleasures. They've got live comedy to small business advice. LGBTQ friendly to sports, vinyl to gutter punk. MutinyRadio.fm has the best programming the Internet Ocean has to offer you. I bet my peg leg on it, or I ain't scurvy shit face McRat. <laughs> Anti-Trump is the antivirus or antibody to the Trump virus. We're a global alliance of humans standing up against the Trump brand. Antitrump.com started four years ago on March 19, 2016 with two sketches and a dream for a better world. Nobody thought it was going to be this bad. Most of us probably figured it would just be four more years of the same old... He was a 70-year-old babbling Nimrod. How bad could it really be? Treason is the last of his felonious activities. The Trump brand has hijacked our government and sold Lady Liberty to the mob. We are a leaderless and without the most basic healthcare systems and community services. COVID-19 is a pandemic, but the Trump brand is the virus. Welcome to the antivirus. Go to antitrump.com and spread the word. Individual politics aren't important. What is important is that we stand together as a unified voice and say enough is enough. That's antitrump.com. Welcome to Strictly Bad Vibes, your personal complaint department.
suggest to you one of the truly great names in country music, a stylist, a legend in his own time, Mr. Johnny Cash.
Okay, this is The B, and you're listening to Mutiny Radio. Mutiny Radio, 2781 21st Street, here in the heart of the mission, El Mero Mero. The name of the show is Labor and Love Radio, but we tell you how it is. We tell you that if one person gets a dollar they didn't work for, someone else worked for a dollar they didn't get. We tell you if you don't have a seat at the table, the negotiating table that is, where you work, you're on the menu. And never, but never let anyone into your heart who is not a friend of labor. Labor and Love Radio, where the labor meets the road. Thank you very much for tuning in today. <clears throat> of course, they don't want you to have a union. Of course, they don't want you to get together and act in concert. Of course, they don't want us to unite across ethnic and economic and religious and Language groups, they don't want us to unite. Your work makes them rich. Now, even if you're out of work, you're making them rich. The amount of money, we'll, we'll talk about that in a little while, about Jeff Bezos specifically. But uh, this whole pandemic has been a, a big money maker for the biggest banks and finance companies because everyone is investing in the stock market right it's about all they can do so the market goes up so mr trump stands out there with 160,000 americans dead a thousand dying every day and says how great it is, how great everything's going, because the stock market's going up. Oh, is that what you're supposed to think about when you're the president? I didn't know. I thought maybe you should be thinking about the well-being of the people. Um, anyway, I guess not. <laughs> what do I know? <laughs> what have we got for you today? Well, um, we lost Trini Lopez this week. Trini Lopez was a victim of the coronavirus. A man who made a big impact on a lot of people because he was he came from Mexico. He's a Mexican person who was proud of being Mexican, who didn't want to change his name or adjust his biography 
his parents are married in Guanajuato, and uh, he came and lived in Los Angeles. Started a band when he was 14 or 15. And the story goes that Frank Sinatra saw Trini Lopez play and decided that he was going to start a record company and produce uh, Trini Lopez Records, which he did. Um, with great success. He had a big hit with uh, Lemon Tree, which was kind of a nice, quiet, folksy, I would say insipid, but that's a little rude. Uh, he had a hit with that. We'll play some more of his hits. We started out with him. It's I Had a Hammer. I Had a Hammer is a great song by Lee Hayes and Pete Seeger, who at the time were members of a group called The Weavers. They played their music here. They had a big hit with Irene Goodnight. And uh, they played this song, If I Had a Hammer. It was a moderate hit. Uh, Peter, Paul, and Mary, another folk group of the time, recorded it. Hit number 10 with it. But uh, Trini Lopez made it to the top five, I think, up to number three with his version. After that, we had a version of uh, Bob Dylan's It Takes a Lot to Laugh, It Takes a Train to Cry, and a version I really like with Phoebe Snow, a guy named Mike McDonald. Not sure who he is, but he, at that point, it was Phoebe Snow's partner on this album. It takes a lot to laugh, it takes a train to cry. And... Give Us Justice was the next song we played by The Sacred Souls. Give us justice. There'll be no justice until there is peace. Well, what do we got here? We, we have to, still haven't talked on this show about Hiroshima. We skipped last week. I don't know was going on, but uh, Hiroshima, we'll talk a little a bit, bit about that tonight. Game writers, rise up, you have nothing to lose but yourselves, I don't know. <laughs> a big strike in Maine involving 4,300 workers looks like a win for labor. Who is Jeff Bezos and why did he, how did he make so much money? Talk about that. Okay, here's a little bit from Radio Labor. Coca-Cola fires unionists during the COVID pandemic. This is Solidarity News on Radio Labor. Hello, I'm Mark Bellagio. As many companies addressed the COVID-19 pandemic by moving to protect their workers, Coca-Cola 
was using the crisis to fire union leaders. Its plant in the Philippines went to extraordinary efforts to force its employees to work as the virus spread. And then, when the union objected and tried to help the workers, three of its leaders were fired. To find out more about the situation, I talked to Hidayat Greenfield. Mr. Greenfield is the regional secretary of the IUF Global Union in the Asia-Pacific region. The IUF represents 10 million workers who are members of more than 400 unions in 127 countries. The Coca-Cola workers in the Philippines are members of the Federation of Coca-Cola Unions, FCCU, Central. I asked Mr. Greenfield to describe what was happening at the Coca-Cola plant in the Philippines. Prior to the COVID-19 pandemic, we'd had a struggle over a number of years for union recognition. The Coca-Cola in the Philippines has always sided with a certain kind of union that was pro-management, colluded with a union in terms of collective agreements that did not represent workers' interests. So the Centro FCCU unions are independent unions, genuine democratic unions that were built over the last 20 years that have fought for a very long time for recognition. And we did have a breakthrough a couple of times with meetings at national level, but there was a real pushback. Once Coca-Cola Company took over the operation again in 2018, they really pushed back against this recognition and stopped these meetings and stopped engaging with unions. And so we knew we had a problem. At local level, they could negotiate agreements, but the company was very aggressive at national level in terms of union recognition and looked at any opportunity to undermine unions. And in fact, just before the COVID-19 pandemic, they had invited police and military to a couple of the sites to talk about why workers should quit the union. So quite an aggressive anti-union strategy had developed. Then COVID-19 pandemic comes along. And here, you know, across the Asia-Pacific region, dealing with many different companies where we have members working and we represent them. You know, a mixed response, but across the board, there was a a general understanding that there needed to be cooperation with unions at this very extraordinary time. Our unions needed to ensure that our members are safe, to clarify what the safety protocols are and help communicate, basically, a lot of what needed to be done. And if there were gaps in safety or shortcomings, to communicate that and to negotiate the changes needed for a safe workplace. So... You know, we had responded, I think, quite well across the board from in a few places. The biggest pushback actually was right there in the Philippines in Coca-Cola, where they still refused. They maintained that same aggressive position of not communicating with the unions. The unions actually raised, particularly at San Fernando, and that's where the national president of the FCCU is. So Fred Marignon had asked several times for clarification. It was a difficult time. The lockdown had just started in that area. There's a lot of confusion. Even the police at checkpoints were asking our members why they had passes to go through the checkpoints if the Coca-Cola plant was not an essential service. So, you know, there there was a lot of confusion and miscommunication, a lot of pressure people were facing. A lot of our members were panicked because one of the the members' relatives had been tested positive for COVID-19, and there was concern. On top of that were some real shortcomings, and this is an important one, that in Coca-Cola Philippines, unlike other companies, if you tested positive for COVID-19 or were suspected and were in quarantine and observation, you had to use your annual leave and then it was no work, no pay. And that was extremely unusual. In other companies, it was, yes, use your annual leave and then support kicks in. Obviously, you're going to get your basic pay. They had clearly 
not provided the kind of safety and protection was needed in the early days, even some of the basic PPE. So what happened in that first week was members were worried and they said to the union, we have a lot of questions. Management was refusing to respond to the union request for clarification of safety protocols. So the, the union leaders were obliged to say to the members, look, if you're not feeling safe, you have a right to remove yourself from what you see as an unsafe workplace and to stay home. And that was for a short period of time they had a low attendance rate uh, following that meeting where people made that choice. But in terms of actual production, the union had made sure production wasn't disrupted. They prepared in advance. So it was really unfortunate, although not unexpected, given the aggressive anti-union stance of Coca-Cola in the Philippines, owned by Coca-Cola Company, that they used the absence of workers in a period of two to three days to accuse the union of having forced them to stay home which wasn't the case, and charged three union leaders, including the national president of FCCU, with economic sabotage. They had gone for economic sabotage, one of, one of the most serious offenses in the company disciplinary code, so that they could skip first, second, third warning letters and go straight for termination. So they were issued this notice to explain on April 8, and within a month by May 8, they were terminated. I would add that taking advantage not only of the COVID-19 pandemic to remove these union leaders in this situation, accusing them of economic sabotage, but knowing full well that in the lockdown they did not have access to the Department of Labor and to the necessary due process when you're facing any disciplinary actions. So again, using the lockdown and the fact they couldn't access those services and follow due process expedited their termination. And so now we're in a situation where we're forced into a position of having to take international action and to demand their reinstatement. And they've filed a notice of strike in the Philippines, and they're mobilizing both at the San Fernando plant as, as well as other plants. The IUF is conducting a campaign to help the Coca-Cola workers in the Philippines. Who is the campaign directed at, the company in the Philippines or Coca-Cola headquarters in Atlanta in the United States, or both? Well, both, because our members in the Philippines has mobilized uh, Central as a uh, national trade union center has mobilized its affiliates across the Philippines and all of our membership in Coca-Cola plants to protest to the Philippines management, to take responsibility and to address both the union rights issue and the safety issues, which are linked. And at a global level, our affiliates across the world have coordinated this campaign against the Coca-Cola company, which through its bottling investment group, fully owns the operations in the Philippines. So the Philippines Coca-Cola is not a bottler. It is actually owned by Coca-Cola Company headquartered in Atlanta, and they have direct responsibility and, quite frankly, the authority in a phone call to set this right. What can people do to help the Coca-Cola workers in the Philippines, especially the three union leaders who have lost their jobs? I think that it's important that the loss of jobs of Fred Marignan, Jun Salabut, and Daniel Pineda they're elected union officers, so in situations like this, especially in such a critical situation like this COVID-19 pandemic, which is certainly not subsiding in the Philippines or in our region, our members need their elected representatives to continue to represent them, but precisely in the issue of having a right to a safe workplace. It's not about the loss of the jobs of Fred, June, and Danilo, quite frankly. It's about the loss of all of our members' rights as soon as their elected representatives are removed from that site and it really puts everyone at risk. So we need Fred, June, and Danilo reinstated. We need international support for that. 
their reinstatement not only to get them back to work, but to restore the rights of our members and to get back to the negotiating table and to sort out what they should have sorted out two months ago, which is how to ensure a safe workplace and guarantee the right of our members to safety. As long as this dispute is going on and they're being accused falsely of economic sabotage, at the same time, you know, they're, they're undermining the safety of our members. So it is quite an urgent campaign. We have launched on the IUF website, www.iuf.org, an urgent action you'll see at the top of the page. We're asking people to sign on to that and send a protest message. We know Coca-Cola Company ignores those messages. They've taken a very aggressive stance in the last couple of years across the board to ignore both campaigns we've got going in other countries, including Indonesia, where we have four union leaders terminated. They refuse to reinstate. They'll try to ignore those protest messages, but I can assure everyone that wants to support this fight in the Philippines and get our union leaders reinstated and help our members secure a safe workplace, these messages will be sent to Coca-Cola Company. They can ignore that, but it will be turned into a petition. So if you sign on to the electronic urgent action, your name will also go into a petition that we'll have prepared and that will be delivered to the Coca-Cola Company. And, and I think that will be a very strong message that people are outraged by this kind of action especially at this time when a safe workplace, the issues that are, should be on the table and discussed are issues that could save or cost lives. Okay, when you sip that Coca-Cola, remember where it came from and remember what you can do to make the lives of the Coca-Cola workers, the people who send your Coke to you, they need your help. Now, we were going to talk last week about Hiroshima because it was the 8th, it was the day that the bombs dropped on Nagasaki, I believe. There's a little thing from Breakthrough News about the Hiroshima bombing. Were they necessary? No, they weren't. In the first place, just a priori, they weren't necessary. The U.S. could have stopped, you know, the war right there and figured out a way to negotiate a settlement. But there's a weird strain running through here that there were all these people who had worked on the bomb who wanted to see it at work and see if it worked. They wanted to see if it worked. How many people would it kill? Okay. Textbooks say, Truman said it would avoid a U.S. ground invasion and save American lives. But these explanations only scratch the surface. The A-bombs were a way to show the world and the Soviet Union, especially, who was boss. 1944, the Soviet Union liber liberated nation after nation from German rule. The prestige of communism was high worldwide. The USSR agreed to fight against Japan once the Nazis were finished. Japan was ready to surrender with conditions but the U.S. wanted to demonstrate the bomb's power before the war ended. It was called the MasterCard to use 
in post-war geopolitics. It left Hiroshima untouched for years, for months. 80,000 people were killed instantaneously. Stalin declared war on Japan the next day, and the U.S. dropped a second bomb, killing 100,000 people in Nagasaki. Japan's rulers surrendered before the Soviet Union showed up. Hundreds of thousands of Japanese civilians either died or suffered damage from the bomb's radiation fallout in the subsequent years. The U.S. government caused that had to happen. The U.S. government made it happen. Two bombs. Eisenhower, the general head of the uh, Allied Expeditionary Forces in Europe, wrote in his memoir, Japan was already defeated. Was dro and dropping the bomb was completely unnecessary. The use of atomic bombs shifted the global balance of power. It demonstrated that the United States had unmatched military might. It was a demonstration, a demonstration. Kill 180,000 people to demonstrate your strength. So while they teach atomic bombs at the end of World War II, in reality they mark the beginning of a new war, the Cold War. And that was from breakthrough. Okay. Let's get some music here. I'm going to play... Um, Some more Trini. I love his version of Kansas City. And a little talk about who he was when he wasn't in front of the, the TV. Here we go with Kansas City. Getting any of not getting Kansas City. Why not? Don't want muddy waters. <laughs> not this time. Want some Trini.
I'm gonna fly there just the same. Sincero, de donde crece la palma, y antes de morir me quiero echar mis versos del alma. Guantanamera, 
Looking for that uh, Muddy Waters. Let's see. Well, let's see. That was Guantanamera uh, by Trini Lopez. Let's run one more in there. Can't stand it. You're running around. 
You know better, Daddy. I can't stand it cause you put me down. Yeah, yeah. I put a spell on you. Because you're mine. You're mine. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. We're up. 
Okay, we had a double dose of uh, Nina Simone there, inadvertently, but hey, how can you go wrong with Nina Simone? We had Trini's Kansas City, um, cover of the Wilbert Harrison hit, which uh, made a big hit for Trini as well. And then Juan Tanamera, the song by Pete Seeger, the song of the... Uh, Guerillas from Cuba, Fidel Castro, Guantanamera. And then we had Nina with Put a Spell and Break Down and Let It Out. This is Labor and Love Radio where we tell you how it is. And here's how it is with Trini Lopez. Trini Lopez, I, I had said earlier that he was from Guanajuato. His parents were from Guanajuato, but Lopez was born in Dallas, Texas. His father was a singer, dancer, actor, and musician in Mexico. His mother was named Petra Gonzalez. They married in Guantanamo and then moved to Dallas. Trini Lopez went to N.R. Crozier Tech High School, dropped out of high school in his senior year, had to, to help support the family. He'd uh, started a band in Wichita Falls, Texas, and um, Signed with a group called King Records, recording more than a dozen singles for that label, none of which charted. He had a contract to sign with the post Buddy Holly Crickets as a vocalist. That idea didn't go through. Uh, he started working at a nightclub called PJs, where his audience grew quickly. Um, That's where Frank Sinatra heard him and started his own label, Reprise Records, who subsequently signed Trini Lopez. His album, first album was 1963. Like we said, If I Had a Hammer reached number one in 36 countries, number three in the U.S. Sold over a million copies, gold disc, he also performed his own version of the traditional song La Bamba and uh, Green Green. These are all probably familiar to you if you came up in the 60s and 70s. Lemon Tree, Coming Home Cindy. Like we played, we played uh, Kansas City. Uh, several hits among those. TV show, My Texas Roots, 
I'd like to hear that one. It was one of his latest, his last uh, album. Worked at a benefit to raise money for Indian Ocean Earthquake and Tsunami in 2004. And uh, 2011, his 65th album, Into the Future. So Lopez was a big deal. He's one of the... One of the... uh, Victims of coronavirus. Which number was he? What would have What would have somebody said to you if you'd told them, well, in um, 2020, we're going to have a president who's trying to attack the post office because he's afraid that if ballots are sent in the mail, his side will lose. In fact, he's assured in his mind that he's going to lose if he allows the election to go on as it usually has. So he's against mail-in ballots, but not in the state of Florida where his protege, Ron DeSantis, is running a disastrous campaign to fight the coronavirus following Trump's lead. uh, Ron DeSantis. Ron DeSantis didn't give an order to wear a mask. I don't think he has yet. So he's... uh, And he opened his state earlier than many others. Now it's one of the foci of the pandemic. I want to ask a couple of people that I know, working people, one is a student, one is retired, what they think of this whole state of things. So our capital correspondent is... Mr. Coleman, he's about to call me. And then later on, my uh, my campus correspondent, student at UC Davis, will call in and give her point of view. So Earl, calling in from Sacramento, state capital, where it all happens. Wanted to play something else about Hiroshima, too, before we get into that. Um, How unnecessary it was. See some videos about that. Hiroshima and Nagasaki. So call me after this, Earl. Seven things you should know.
number one. More than 210,000 people were killed instantaneously. 140,000 in Hiroshima, 74,000 in Nagasaki. Number two. The bombs were detonated in the air, which made them more destructible. Destructive. They don't have to hit the ground in order to, de to detonate. Their nuclear weapons, detonating them in the air causes the blast to have a much larger impact. We'll get on to this. We got plenty. Hello? 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 There he is. Hi, Earl. Hold on. Hold on. Let me see what's happening if it's on my end. What's that? So, this is Earl Coleman. He's our uh, capital correspondent. He lives in the Sacramento area and. Every week we present him and our campus correspondent with a situation to talk about. In this case, Earl, how are you doing anyway? Oh, I'm, I'm doing fine. How's everything with you and the family? It's all right. It's all right. We're getting by. Still, you know, locked up, but we're getting by. So yeah, this week's question here. that I wanted to ask your opinion about is the president and the post office. What is that about? <laughs> uh, well, what can we say? Um, the only thing I can say is our president, he showed his, uh, uh -huh. his, his, his way of, of making legal, illegal, and uh Things that he need to do so that he can be re reelected. Elected. Um, I don't know. Um, the post office is supposedly been uh, the person running it is appointed by him. So uh, all of these things that's going on right now, as far as re-election, and plus it seems to me that he would be breaking the law. But everybody, like he says, he he said earlier when he was running for president, said, hey, I can go out and kill somebody <laughs> and, and get away with it. It seems like that's the way his term in office has been. Yeah, I can't, what I don't understand, I mean, who knows, you know, what he's going to do, but what I can't understand is the senators and the representatives just standing around letting it happen, going on vacation when all this is happening. Yeah, that, 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 I guess that's one of the the perks of uh, having those uh, jobs or those <laughs> positions because it seems like they're gone more than they're uh, actually supposed to be doing their job. Uh, and it seems to be that they'll go along with it as long as uh, the president seems to uh, do everything to try to stay in office so they can have a job. It, it, the post office is needed. Not only just for regular mail, but uh, the election. Uh, why? Why would he want the and and be so bold to say 
that uh, he's doing the things that he's doing because he don't want mail-in votes. Hey, he tells it like it is, and it, it's really hurting all of us that needs our mail and the workers that uh, supply the mail yeah. to, to all of us. Yeah, 600,000 people work for the post office. Huh. And he wants to... Uh, it, it, it's... it's uh, I don't know. Like, like the only thing that can be said is uh, people vote, and hopefully they'll vote him out of office. That's, that's the only answer because it seems like nothing else is going to remove him from office. Right. It is the answer. That's true. With the Senate, the senators, they'd never vote against him, you know. But they still got a responsibility. I mean, the post office is like, you know, this sacred institution. It's in the Constitution and everything. And and still, they're just standing around while he messes around and he puts his guy in there. Have you seen those uh, pictures of uh, post boxes, mailboxes, piles and piles of them on the back of a truck because they've been taking them out, making it harder yeah, for people to vote? One of the things that I, I, I thought about when I, I start seeing how uh, the president was trying to set up the post office is that, you know, that, that saying, I don't know the exact, but was it rain, snow, or whatever it is, how right, they said right. uh, the mail gets through? Well, our president makes sure that he can change all of that, and that's exactly what he's trying to do. I know. And it looks like he's doing it. That that's that's the part that really bothers me is that he's able to do the things that's supposed to be, as you say, it's a part of our way of life. You know, I I don't know. All we can do is hope, like I said, is that he can be uh, the people will vote and vote him out of office. Yeah, yeah. Have you received your ballot yet? <laughs> well, I guess you want to put me on the spot. Uh, I, I, I'm, I'm kind of, I don't vote to uh -huh. be honest with you. And I mean, and that decision was made back from what was going on with Nixon. Uh -huh. And it's been years since I voted. Uh, I, like I said, you put me on the spot because. Uh, here I'm saying everybody should vote, and I'm, I'm not voting. <laughs> no, no, that's perfectly understandable. I felt the same I mean, way. We, we see a president elected almost under the same kind of circumstances, and now he's he's out in the open doing yeah. the same thing again. So it just backs up my belief that our vote don't mean anything. Well, yeah, you know, I've felt that way for a oh. long time. Um, I certainly understand it. To me, it's like, yeah, it's sort of meaningless because, you know, for a lot of reasons, you know, it's one one out of, what, 140 million or something? What does that mean? But anyway, <laughs> it's a, I mean, it's yeah. the only way he can get in now is to cheat. So I think we're going to see more stuff like this, too, more cheating stuff. Yeah, he's, he's, he's doing everything uh, so out in the open. I mean, it shows, I, I would say, how desperate he is uh, right now to stay in office. Uh, 
And I don't know if the motivation is to be the president because of his ego uh-huh. or because of all of the lawsuits and things that's going on in New York and other places that he's, he's hoping to stay in office. It'll keep him from uh, going to court. I, I don't know what, what his reason would be, but he's, he lies. He don't tell the truth when he's attacked or questioned about his lies. He he walks out of. Uh, yeah, he just walked out. Uh, giving information when he should be giving us information on the virus. He's more talking political. So I I don't know. We we're, we're just in a a bad time, and we got somebody in there that you really can't place him anywhere. Where his ego at? His, his mental state of mind, which I feel that he's always, as far as I've been concerned, is that he's, uh, he's he has a problem with Alzheimer's. And I believe that's why all of his family in there making decisions for him to help keep him in control. That's my personal opinion. Uh-huh. Well, there certainly you know? are signs of that, you know. A lot of uh, psychiatrists yeah. and psychologists have said that there's something wrong with him mentally, seriously wrong. But anyway, yeah, I want to thank him. you. I want to thank before, you for. Before, um, let me just say this, and then oh, I, I'll, go ahead. I'll let you back to your radio. Oh no, so go I, ahead. Um, one of the things watching him when he gives these uh, news conferences every every day is it uh, to be such a uh, intelligent person as he places himself as being. He can't even read the statements <laughs> just wrote in front of him. And I'm saying, you know, that not only is that the reason he walks out because he don't want to answer questions, it's because he can't handle normal uh, reading. Pay. Noticing sometimes, if people listening to me, notice how there's nothing coming from his mind without reading it, and he can't even read it. Right, right. He's just yeah. reading it, and you can tell by the tone of his voice that he's bored, right, because he has to read this, right? Yeah. And then he keeps stumbling yeah. over <laughs> words. Right on the, on the head. You're right. So anyway, uh, I'm going to get off of here, and, and I'm not out in the weather, but those who like this hot weather enjoy it. Uh, and say hi to your family and hope everyone's fine and hope everyone take care of each other that. out there with the, the mask and keeping their distance. So I'm going to get off of here, and, and it's good talking to you, and I'll be talking to you again. We'll keep in touch. Thank you, Earl, for your commentary, and I'll talk to you soon. <laughs> All right, so take care. Bye. Bye-bye. So that was uh, Earl Coleman, our Capitol correspondent. Earl lives in the Sacramento area. And uh, he's always got a unique point of view. He thinks about this stuff a lot. And, um, you know, when when we talk, we talk about it. But uh, so he'll be our Capitol correspondent next week as well. Every week we'll call him up. And then we have our campus correspondents. Students, Vita and Yemen, will call in about 11.30 and give their point of view about the president and the mail. 
Okay, let's go back to our Hiroshima. Our Hiroshima talk here. Seven things you should know about Hiroshima and Nagasaki. Next week marks 73 years. So that would be, tw what, what, 2008? 55, 2018. More than 210,000 people were killed. The bombs were detonated in the air. For nuclear weapons, detonating them in the air causes the blast to have a much larger geographical impact. They were both detonated in the air, both bombs. Number three, first responders couldn't help back then, and they wouldn't be able to help now. If a nuclear weapon were to be detonated over a city today, first responders Hospitals, firemen, and organizations would simply be unable to help. Here's a video by the Red Cross. Let's see what they have to say. Well, it's a silent film. So we won't be able to hear it. But it suggests that nobody, nobody could hurt, could help. In Nagasaki, ground temperatures reached 4,000 degrees centigrade. 37.2 is normal body temperature. And radioactive rain poured down. As a result, most victims died without any care to ease their suffering. Some of those who did enter the cities after the bombings to provide assistance later died from radiation. Number four, the effects last till this day. It takes around 10 seconds for the fireball from a nuclear explosion to reach its maximum size, but the effects last for decades and span across generations. Five to six years after the bombings, incidents of leukemia increased noticeably among survivors. After about a decade, they began suffering from thyroid, breast, lung, and other cancers at higher than normal rates. Pregnant women exposed to the bombings experience higher rates of miscarriage. Oh. For all survivors, cancers related to radiation exposure still continues to increase throughout their lifespan, even to this day, seven decades later. Paper cranes are symbols of peace and action. Paper cranes are a traditional Japanese symbol for good health. They also come to symbolize the hiba hab hibakusha, hibakusha, the survivors of the bombings. 
in the iconic story of Sadako's thousand paper cranes. <sighs> Survivors try to rid the world of nuclear weapons. Their stories are stories of hope and determination. There is no way to make sure it never happens again. A nuclear peace ban would do that. On July 17th, the UN adopted the Treaty on the Prohibition of Nuclear Weapons. This historic treaty bans nuclear weapons and all activities related to them. Countries around the world hear the calls of Hibakusha to join the Nuclear Ban Treaty. If you love this planet, I remember back in 2014. Tatsuko Thurlow survived the atomic bombing as a 13-year-old girl. I would like to share my gratitude for the exceptional work and dedication of everyone who has put their brains and their hearts into these treaty negotiations. I'm grateful to you, Madam President, for your leadership and the UN Secretariat, the delegations and NGOs devoted to moving us ever closer to the goal of the total elimination of nuclear weapons. As we gather in our celebration of this extraordinary achievement, let us pause for a moment to feel the witness of those who perished in Hiroshima and Nagasaki. Both at that time in August 1945 and over these 72 years, hundreds of thousands of people. Each person who died had a name. Each person was loved by someone. I've been waiting for this day for seven decades. And I am overjoyed that it has finally arrived. 
This is the beginning of the end of nuclear weapons. I remember back in 2014, when many of us met in Nayarit, Mexico, the conference chair said, this is a point of no return. We will not return to the failed nuclear deterrence policies. We will not return to funding nuclear violence instead of human needs. We will not return to irreversibly contaminating our environment. We will not continue to risk the life of future generations. To the leaders of the countries across the world, I beseech you, if you love this planet, you will sign this treaty. Nuclear weapon has always been immoral. Now they are also illegal. Together, let us go forth and change the world. I thank you. called If You Love This Planet, he's a survivor of the uh, nuclear blast in Japan in World War II. And at the age of 13, she was exposed. Okay, we were talking about a strike, huh? We were talking about a strike largest private sector strike of the year headed for union victory it was on portside bath maine it's no coincidence that the first strike in 20 years at the bath iron works biw began months into the corona 19 pandemic covid 19 while Maine has one of the lowest COVID transmission rates in the country, the spread of the deadly virus helped spark the strike that has largely shut down the shipyard at BIW, one of Maine's largest employers. And this is a big, big sticking point. Powers that be want workers to get back to work so the capitalist machine can start churning out profits again. 
and they've got us over the barrel because we have to work in order to survive. When and how did that happen? That's something to think about. Your survival is tied to the fact that of whether you work or not. In June, when around 4,300 machinists, local S6 union members at BIW, voted overwhelmingly to strike, many had soured on management over its handlings of the pandemic. Okay, so you want me to go back to work? Is it going to be safe? You want me to send my kid back to school? Is it going to be safe? Kids have died of COVID. Trump, for a while, was trying on the lie that children didn't get it, or they got it in much lower numbers. It's like magic, he said. The smaller you are, the safer you are. Something like that. You've got to risk your life to go back to work and survive. You've got to risk your kid's life to send them to school and get an education so that you have time to work? No. The big cigars realize that if you don't go back to work, the economy is gone. So they've got to do something. Now they did. They threw a little money at us. Unemployment, enhanced unemployment, and a stimulus check for 1200 how long did that last? How long did the the embargo on evictions last? That's running out. All that money's running out. What's going to happen? People have to eat. They have to feed their kids and they have to shelter their families. Will the government at any level step in to help them? These are tax-paying people. These are people who built this country and maintain it now. The people who feed you when you go to a restaurant. The people who make that coffee. The people who teach your kids. The people who put out the fires. The walkout had lasted for nearly seven weeks, but late last week both sides saw a breakthrough as a tentative agreement was reached that appears to hand the union a victory on its demands. Never shut down General Dynamics subsidiary after a BIW worker tested positive for the virus in late March the company encouraged employees not to report for work. Uh, and he did stay home for weeks, but they had to use paid vacation or sick time or work unpaid. Union leaders called for a shutdown with pay while also pushing state lawmakers to pressure the Navy to allow the shipyard to close. They said we're essential workers, said John Luis Cabral, the third. John Luis Cabral. 
They say we're essential workers because we build battleships. But how essential are you if you get sick? It's scary for a lot of people. Rao couldn't last, couldn't afford to stay home long. He was hired last year and had little accrued paid time off. On June 22nd, 87% of local S6 members voted in favor of striking, even though they'd lose company paid health insurance during the pandemic. In a tentative agreement announced Saturday, local S leaders trumpeted the retention of status quo contract language on subcontractors and seniority and work rules. The agreement also retains 3% annual raises for workers. The temporary catch-up phase will be allowed to allow expanded subcontracting through the end of the year and a joint union company committee will begin meeting weekly to ensure schedule gains. So check that out on the Portside website. Hundreds of Apple workers in Washington are on strike. Last week, the COVID-related strike in Washington State's Yakima Valley quadrupled in size as workers walked out at three more major apple packing houses. More than 100 stopped work on May 7th at Allen Brothers Fruit, a large apple-growing packing and shipping company in Natchez in central Washington. On May 12th, they were joined by 200 more workers. And there's a teaser here that says, since this article was written, Apple Packing House workers at two more companies have joined the strike. So this is about the COVID as well. 14 people have less left work over the last month because they have COVID. As far as we know, the company isn't paying them. We need productions at work like adequate masks and we want tests. Anyway, read that one on the Portside website as well. Portside. Facebook, the Green New Deal. See, with all this COVID stuff, we've kind of forgotten about saving the earth. The Green New Deal just won a major union endorsement. What's stopping the FLCIO? The American Federation of Teachers, the second largest teachers union in the country, passed a resolution in support of the Green New Deal at its biennial convention at the end of July. 
little more on that next week. But here's our labor in two minutes. this day in labor history, the year was 1989. That was the day that Jerry Horgan was killed while walking the picket line. Jerry was a chief steward for the Communication Workers of America Local 1103. The communication workers were on strike against telecom giant Nyx Corporation, which became part of the present-day Verizon company. At issue okay. was management's well, proposal to shift a greater a share of the that. Correspondent. Hello. Hello. Hello, just a second. Hello. Yeah, there you go. Hi. I got you now. How are you doing? What'd you say? How are you doing? Hello? Can you hear me? Yeah, now I can hear you better. Okay. Let's see. Hey, Bill, how's it going? Yeah, man, I'm fine. It's good to hear from you guys. You we, too. We just talked, uh, I just talked to my capital correspondent. <laughs> yeah, we heard. <laughs> so I'm glad good, to... Good I'm glad to hear from you guys. How's everything going? It's going good. Uh, it's nice that it's the weekend. And it's pretty hot out here in Davis. But otherwise, it's going pretty good. Uh-huh. Oh, okay. Yeah, it's, all, it's all swell here, except it's 110 degrees. Let me see here. I'm just going to turn up my sound. Okay. Hello? Yeah, there you go. That's a lot better. Um, good. Here's my question. Here's my discussion point for the day, and I want to get your input on it as as students and as young people who are coming up, you know, preparing for your future lives. Uh, we have a president who is attacking the post office, which I'm sure any anyone who's studied American history at all would never. Uh, expect but uh what's your take on it what's your take what's the take of the people that you hang out with how do people I, feel about this i think that there's been a lot of things that have been going on that have shown that trump is willing to escalate things to keep himself in power even illegally uh -huh. and just like when they sent out those like federal police mm -hmm. into uh cities where people were protesting and they kind of like illegally rounded them up in sort of this very like undemocratic fashion seems like a real escalation of things. Although it's been happening with ICE and Border Patrol, like to other people, it was pretty jarring to see it happening to protesters as well, you know, yeah. where people are just being rounded up, no questions asked, just taken away. And it's like, what's going on? You know, cause, you're supposed to have a right to know why you're being arrested and all these things. So um, 
that kind of weirds me out. And now I think that the whole post office thing is like, it's all part of like phases or plans. Like, I think that he's getting rid of the post office, obviously, because he knows that people will be wanting to do uh, mail-in or whatever ballots. Yeah. And so he wants to mess with it to make sure that a majority of people can't be heard and then a whole bunch of people won't go to the ballot. And now he's wearing a mask. See, now he's acting like, oh, it's a big deal. <laughs> so now if people want to go to vote, they're not going to go. And guess what? He took the post office thing too. <laughs> so it's kind of like, I don't know. I think it's kind of like a coup, but like, trying to like coup with like a business suit on it or something little by little huh yeah little by little so that when it does get to the time all the resources that we would have used to like you know not do this or like vote him in will be gone and then we'll all be so worried about the coronavirus or we'll be worried about all these different things that like we're not going to notice what's going to be going on because the virus may get worse during that time or there might be, you know, more of a recession because in October is usually when all the recessions, like, hit the fan because it's the beginning of the fourth quarter of the economic year. So, you know, we never know. October, November, like, things could really escalate is what I think. Okay. And Yemen, what what do you have to say about it? Well, I think um, uh, Vita's pretty much on point um, uh, that you know this this is this thing is all it's like a coup in the suit. I like I like that, um, and I think that you know once you sort of see the motivation behind what's going on, you sort of realize uh, Trump has got his back against the wall. Whether intentionally he put himself there and knew he would get out of it, or whether it just so happened that. You know, uh, he's the president, and now if he doesn't get elected again, he goes to jail. Because uh, from my understanding is that they're after him for finances, right? And that he, there's no way he can get out of, like, uh, the, the state. I think it was – I think. I'm not sure. Don't quote me. Um, I'm not full-time. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, that that they can't get him on that. And if he doesn't get reelected, that he will face charges, and he will have to go to prison. Um, I think it was in New York. I'm not sure if they, they got that rid of, but my understanding is his back's against the wall. His motivation is win or go to jail, right? And if he goes to jail, all his friends go to jail too. That's but, right, you know, the whole, the whole rack, mob. <laughs> yeah, so, so the motivation, so, so now with COVID coming up, it, all of a sudden it's like, now you see those pictures you were talking about, about um, the ones that the mailboxes, and it's like, I saw them too, yeah. and it was really like, I'm desensitized to the news, but seeing those those blue mailboxes on the truck and going away right around now, and I mean, I grew up, like, around those things. You know, you see them as a kid. They're yeah, oh, yeah. Wide. You think they're fascinating, you know. If you get your hand in there, it doesn't come out kind of thing. <laughs> you know, you just, like, you have memories of those things. And so now you see them on a truck and they're leaving right around the time that there's an election, right around the time you need them the most because there's a virus. It just leads me to think, you know, is – could it be that, that Trump did nothing about this virus so that it could come down to this? People won't vote. I mean, if I'm going to go stand in the line to vote, I'm putting everybody I love at risk because most of the people I know are vulnerable, a part of the population. So many people are just going to probably stay out of the vote, um, not vote. So he knows. So it's like what 
is this why he didn't do anything about COVID so that these votes, so that when it comes time, he can easily dismantle the postal office. Yeah. And then he's got this in the bag. Keep in mind, like 22% of, of, of mail-in votes are never counted and half of them never got there in the first place. Right. So this is like a mass scale, uh, what's it called? Ballot, ballot stuffing, ballot, you know, uh-huh. ballot theft. Yeah, repre- um, repression of uh, voting. I yeah, think, go ahead. I think it also needs to be said <clears throat> is that it isn't just votes, you know, that the mail carries. The mail carries people's medicine. Mail carries people's, you know, legal papers and deals. And uh, there's a lot more oh, going we've, we've on. We've got Amazon mail. now, Bill. We've got it all taken care of. We've got the people <laughs> taking the best care of their employees now. We've got Amazon. God knows, what, you know, they have corporate America. Like, and I'm sorry, I'm for. Yeah, I'm for. I'm, 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 I'm for democratic capitalism. You know, like regulated capitalism. That's fine. That's that's the best. That's in my opinion. But what's going on with this is this is just all to the wall kind of thing. You know what I mean? All like, to the wall. Uh, that's a good way. Yeah, to say all it. to the wall. Let's just you know, it's all the way. And they've got uh, you know probably Amazon backed up. They're buying Benzes and Fords to deliver their stuff. Like, it's all perfect timing, and it's just it's again, again, what fascinates me is let's go back to how long have they known this, and how long has this been part of the plan? You know, because this is so meticulous, this is so perfectly timed. It's just not happening by accident. Is, is what I'm trying to say. Okay, well, um, I want to thank you guys for your commentary. As always, uh, we we contact our campus correspondents capital correspondence with a question of the day for workers um so i want to thank you and i hope everything goes well with you guys any last things you want to add uh well thank you for having us so it's a pleasure to be on here thank you for having us and we'll see you soon no it's my appreciation that you guys uh, are willing to come on the show and and um, give your opinions yeah okay see you both soon Have a good day. Try to keep cool. Yeah, we will. Have a nice day. Thanks for having us on. Okay, bye-bye. Bye. Well, okay, that was our uh, campus correspondent. And uh, they mentioned Jeff Bezos. I wanted to see if I could... my Jeff Bezos story. I had a Jeff Bezos story uh, here it is. Jeff Bezos now has roughly 189 billion dollars. Recently, a couple weeks ago, in one day he made 13 billion dollars. Okay, so Jeff Bezos has $189 billion. Average American yearly income is $32,000. How long would it take an average worker to make the amount that Bezos has? 5.9 million years. This level of inequality is a crime against humanity.
Bezos discovered that he could make humans work faster to the breaking point for very little pay. Workers have literally collapsed dead on his warehouse floor. Others wear diapers just because they fear taking bathroom breaks. Beyond just Bezos, the market economy is the deeper culprit. They live in a system that seeks profit over all else. Bezos can be worth $189 billion while he lays waste to the world around him. Bezos is a psychopath at the top of a system built to reward psychopaths and punish ethical, moral, sustainable behavior. That's from Lee Camp, and it's online. Five point nine million years. Why does a person need that much money? Why would you need that much money? You don't need that much money. Jeff Bezos could take just a little bit of his money and guarantee a better life for a lot of people around him. Okay, one more. Let's read from our buddy, our friend, Bill Yund. Yund is a uh, labor graphic artist. And this one of his is called The Battle of the Roundhouse. And it has to do with the great upheaval. Hard Times, 1877. It's entitled The Battle of the Roundhouse. In Pittsburgh, the troops fire into the crowd. 20 men, women, and children die. 29 more are wounded. After four years of job and wage cuts, workers net as little as a dollar a week. When railroads announce another wage cut, strikes spread out through the U.S. The Pennsylvania Railroad, with net earnings of 412, of net earnings of 12 million, Declares strikes need a, and strikers need a rifle diet. In Pittsburgh, local militia refuse orders and join the strikers. Pennsylvania guardsmen are brought in from Philadelphia. News spreads quickly. This is the railroad. The railroad was the internet of the time. The way news spread quicker than just mouth to mouth. Mill workers, farmers, miners, and others join the strikers. They seize militia supply cars. The soldiers retreat from the 28th Street Depot to the engine roadhouse, roundhouse. By midnight, thousands surround, surround them. Shots are fired at the troops. Rail cars filled with oil are set afire and rolled into the roundhouse. Some soldiers escape. To avoid being burned alive, the others risk in gunfire to move to the U.S. arsenal in Lawrenceville, now Arsenal School. 
Later, one soldier, a Civil War victim, tells reporters, I've never seen such fighting. I've seen wild fighting. Never such a night of terror. New York Press reports, Pittsburgh sacked and dominated by communists. Later, investigation finds no communists, only angry, frustrated citizens. Nationwide, the strike is crushed with workers killed and arrested in West Virginia, Baltimore, St. Louis, where strikers, by the way, set up a city council and ran the city for a matter of weeks. Nationwide, the strike is crushed, but in the 1878 election, Greenback Labor candidates hold over one million vote votes from a brief coalition of farmers and workers. Fourteen Greenback Labor congressmen were elected. Pennsylvania, the Greenback Party, wins 14% of the votes, and the mayor of Scranton was a labor leader. Labor had fixed some political mus flex some political muscle and Pittsburgh, always a union town, became a labor town as well. All right, let's hear a little labor history, and then we'll get out of here. I'm Rick Smith, and this is Labor History in Two. On this day in labor history, the year was 1989. That was the day that Jerry Horgan was killed while walking the picket line. Jerry was a chief steward for the Communication Workers of America Local 1103. The communication workers were on strike against telecom giant Nyex Corporation, which became part of the present-day Verizon company. At issue was management's proposal to shift a greater share of the health care costs onto the backs of workers. The strike wore on for a total of 17 weeks. In total, nearly 60,000 telephone workers in the Northeast participated in the walkout. These included both CWA members as well as members of the International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers. Jerry Horgan was part of the strike in the town of Valhalla, New York, about 25 miles north of New York City. Jerry was struck by a vehicle driven by a strike breaker while walking the picket line. The driver was the daughter of one of the company's managers. She was never charged for hitting Jerry, although some at the scene claimed she accelerated after hitting him with her car. One witness, Charles Pierce, recalled that Jerry was run down like a dog. The CWA honors Jerry's memory by wearing red t-shirts. In 2010, a CWA article titled Why We Wear Red explained, quote, the idea started small. We asked our members to wear red on Thursday to remind the company of the blood they had spilled and to show support for our fallen brother. But it quickly spread nationwide as a sign of solidarity every Thursday at CWA locations. Jerry Horgan was killed standing up for the rights of workers and fighting for a better tomorrow for all workers. Labor History in Two brought to you by the Illinois Labor History Society and the Rick Smith Show. For more information, go to laborhistoryin2.com. I'm Rick Smith. Okay, that'll do it for today. Uh, stay tuned and hang in there for Scott O. Walker and his Flat Black Plastic Show. Remember, if one person gets adopted...
none of which matters in this equation because it is his choice to carry such horse shit on the fucking train. And he was yelling. He was like, move it, bitch, move it, bitch. And, uh, and uh, I wasn't, I wasn't. I'm just not. I'm not moving it, you know. I've arrived. Why should I move? I don't like what work has been giving us at our free lunches. Well, in fact. Three four zero one nine seven six, and it does not spell anything. Call in five. Three four zero one nine seven six. Go for it. Call in, guys.
mutinyradio.fm. Hit the donate button, stream them live, download a podcast, have some fun! Everybody, listen to the weekly review with Roman every Friday from noon to 2 p.m. This is an unapologetically anti-capitalist program. We interview community organizers, activists, and artists. We talk about ways you can take action right now. So listen in to the weekly review every Friday from noon to 2 p.m. Time to time, I've given it a thought of two. You know, if you go to joke workshop, there's more than two peoples paying attention to your jokes, and they ain't even gonna be jerks about it. Daryl, are you serious? I can get people to listen to my jokes? And they'll even say nice things, dude, before they tell you how to get improvements. No way. What is this dang nabbit thing called? It's joke workshop. Joke Workshop? Yep, every Monday, 6 to 8 p.m. on the Mutant Radius. So you're saying I could tell my jokes every Monday from 6 to 8? That's what I'm saying. It's the Joke Workshop Mondays, 6 to 8 p.m. at the Mutant Radius. Yahoo! <laughs> Good evening there, my friends here at MutinyRadio.fm. Chester Cashcock here, and giving you my love and regard as well as movies over there. And uh, I just wanted to let you guys know that any time I go swimming in my vault of rare coins and piles and piles of filthy cash, I can't help but listen to Pamtastic's Comedy Clubhouse every Friday from 8 to 10 p.m. I mean, if anyone who knows anything about comedy knows that Pamtastic's books the best of San Francisco and Beyond's underground comics. It's a great showcase, and they have a fun time at Pamtastic's deep in the Mission District where you can laugh off your tushy for mere fun every Friday to 10 p.m. And I laugh because $5, I mean, that's what I use to wipe my tushy with. So to laugh it off for a mere $5 is indubitious. But if you can't make it to Mutiny Radio, well, don't even worry. Don't fret at all. You can simply download the podcast post-show and giggle in the comfort of anywhere, like your Aspen summer home on the mountain ridge with the kayak healing. So then all you got to do is just go to podcastics.pcrcollective.org slash comedy clubhouse, or you can listen live every Friday from 8 to 10 p.m. as your host Pam Benjamin brings you the best comedy from San Francisco and beyond the universe. And what's better than the universe? It's a cash cock, honey. (laughs) 
Carl Spiegelman. And I am Carl, not Spiegelman. We're hosts of... <laughs> YouTube uh, with Michael Spiegelman. Follow us on podcast by our acronym L-W-A-F-L-M-O-Y-T. We watch a full-length movie on YouTube with you, and you listen to the podcast and yeah. watch the movie at the same right. time. Yeah. L-W-A-F-L-M-O-Y-T. L-W-A-F-L-M-O-Y-T. That's every Sunday, 2 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, or if you're Carl, 5%. Yeah, right. I'm so lazy. Three hours later, I finally get to the show, 5 p.m. Let's hear the theme song. Oh. Let's watch full-length Oh, Let's do a full-minute promo. Oh, never mind. Bye. See you next What's up, Oakland? Have you been missing out on live music and comedy? Remember Killer Dinners? Don't worry about a thing, because Soul Sausage Presents Pandementia has brought you the hottest, freshest, sexiest new beast in the Bay Area. The Oakland Unicorn Speakeasy Comedy and Dinner Club in Koreatown, Northgate. Featuring comedians from NBC, MTV, Comedy Central, Soul Sausage TV, and YouTube. Tickets and packages, showtimes, and information are all at oaklandunicorn.com. Sponsored by Soul Sausage, Rictus Electronics, and True Healing Collective. Grand opening weekend, August 6th through 9th featuring Kabir Singh and Xander Beltran. Tickets on sale now at oaklandunicorn.com. That's oaklandunicorn.com. Hey, Pancake and Pam hanging out. Pam, Pam cake. Hey yo. Pam, Pam cake in the house in the hizzy. Yes. Can you hear yourself? Take that. Drogas. Here we go. Fly.